Thank you for remaining one, standing once again as we turn our attention to God's Word and its reading and its hearing. Reading now from Psalm 128. This is a psalm of ascent which God's people would sing as they ascend, ascended the mount to go to His worship. Psalm 128. Blessed is every one that feareth the Lord, that walketh in His ways. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. Thy children like olive plants round about thy table. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion. And thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children, and peace upon Israel. Our gracious and merciful Father in heaven, as we read and hear this psalm, our hearts soar with delight and longing for the beauty and blessings described. We therefore ask that you send your Holy Spirit to illumine the preaching and the hearing of your word this morning. Help us in our infirmity and grant us understanding, showing us where we fall short of your design so that we might more fully repent and embrace truth. Bring specific application to our secret situations, we pray, and increase the fervor of our thanksgivings and allow us to see clearly where you have already begun that good work, so that hope might abound, a hope that spurs us on in the needed daily activity of tending the gardens of our households. We know that this good work is needed in order to bring forth fruit that is pleasing in your sight, but, O oh Lord, we are weak, and you are infinite in power and wisdom. Increase our faith. And grow us in the grace of the gospel and help us in our weakness. And as you do these things, place the sweet praises of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ upon our lips. For we ask all these things in his mighty name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> in Psalm 128. It seems as if the Spirit of God has spoken to the psalmist and said, take up your pen and paint with words a picture of the home which every family desires. So as we consider this picture that the psalmist gives us, let us begin with a little thought exercise. And I mean it. Everybody, I want you to, I want you to take a moment and think, with me. Do you have a picture in your mind of what you want your household to look like, to sound like, to smell like, to taste like, and to feel like? I would like for you to take a moment and to think about that blessed and happy household that we would like to occupy, that place where we want to invite friends an extended family, that place we call home. In this exercise, you are not allowed to change your address. The happy home that I am asking you to imagine 
will be a little different for every person in this room. But there will be some overlap. Some of you have already begun to imagine a place of quiet sanctuary, a place of peace and order, a place where everything is in its place and there's a place for everything. Every surface sparkles and glistens and every sofa pillow is in its place, fluffed and positioned just right. For others, you envision lots of lively activity and laughter and Play-Doh and glitter all over the dining room table. And the children's eyes are filled with delight and there's laughter everywhere. There's excitement. And so quiet and, and particular order are much further down your list of priorities. For still others, the happy home is a place of productivity and business. The happy day for this person is one in which much has been accomplished and satisfaction at the end of the day comes when the to-do list is fully checked off and they can sit down at peace and make the to-do list for tomorrow. And there may be others who would like who would see that the happy household is a balance of all of these things. Whatever your vision, I suspect that we all, whether we think about it often or not, have some sort of mental image of what we want our happy household to be. Now press pause on that image just for a moment here, on those happy household thoughts, and consider the day in day-out reality that is your present household life. Is there a good deal of alignment with the vision you just imagined, or is there something askew? There may even be some here who are thinking that things are not just askew, they are completely sideways to the way they ought to be, the way that you want them to be. You may be sensing a weight and a burden knowing that the face you put on when you came into this place this morning is just a facade, and it's a mask that belies the tensions that were in the home this morning. Well, I understand those sorts of thoughts. But may I suggest that as the wall hanging in my office says, there is always, always, always something to be thankful for. This is true, isn't it? We don't have to stretch our thoughts too far in order to see something to be thankful for. If you're not able to find something to be thankful for, know that an unthankful heart puts you in the same state as the unrighteous man who stands condemned and denying the manifest glory of God and creation, being without excuse, not giving thanks, being consumed with vain imaginations, and so his, so his foolish heart is darkened. To quote Albert Barnes, we can always find something to be thankful for, and there may be reasons why we ought to be thankful for even those dispensations which appear dark and frowning. And just as an aside, take a little note in your liturgy if you would like to, when you get home, go Google the word askew. It's Google at its best. That's just an aside. So, we have these two visions. The household that we would like to occupy, the home that we desire, and then this other not-quite-as-happy home that we now experience. The question before us then is, how do I move my household from where it is to where it should be?
If you find yourself realizing that you really do enjoy the blessings of a nearly perfect Christian household, I would love to hear more and rejoice in your testimony of God's goodness. Please share this testimony with us. If, on the other hand, you see several areas where there is something broken, know that for those that are in Christ, the gospel is filled with hope. There is no situation so dirty, so broken, that the blood of Christ can't wash it clean and bring healing. In verse 1 of Psalm 128, we read, Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord and that walketh in His ways. God's blessing is found and received by those who fear the Lord and walk in His ways. Said another way, Happier those who live life before the face of God and know rightly that He is God, and they are not, and so tremble in awe at the constant awareness of His presence. Happier those who embrace the instructions and commandments of the Lord with their whole hearts and do them. And this comports perfectly with Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, where we read, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Given given these two essential duties of man, fear God and keep His commandments, found also here in Psalm 128, we will use them as our two main points in this message. First, happy are those that fear the Lord. The word blessed in in verse 1 is the same word translated happy in verse 2, Esher. I think sometimes we have a tendency to elevate respectable words like joyful and blessed over the word happy as if somehow happiness is a fleshly exuberance that should only be expressed in the most reserved and constrained means possible. No, the Lord would have His people to be happy overflowing with expressive joy in the knowledge of His mercy and goodness. To be sure, there are times when our happiness is to be more subdued, when we grieve, when the Lord leads us through all sorts of trials. But even then, we are to find a contented happiness in His providence, trusting and waiting and remembering. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of His, and give thanks at the remembrance of His holiness. For His anger endureth but a moment. In His favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Psalm 30. The fear of the Lord is used at least three different ways in Scripture. It's used as an expression of corporate Israelite religion, the religious system of worshiping Yahweh. Occurrences of the phrase, fear the Lord, in the general sense of religious piety, mostly appear in the wisdom text. In this sense, fear of the Lord is an essential component of Israel's theology. And secondly, fear of the Lord is used as a description of personal piety, the act of worshiping and obeying Yahweh. In Deuteronomy 5, God declares to Moses, Oh, that there were such an heart in them, 
that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always. That it might be well with them and with their children forever. Fear can be expressed as positive obedience caused by reverence for Yahweh and or negative obedience caused by the threat of divine punishment. And thirdly, the fear of the Lord is used as a person's identity. One who knows and is known by the living God, Yahweh. When Jonah was fleeing, we read in chapter 1, and they said, everyone to his fellow, come and let us cast lots that we may know for which cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then they said unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thine occupation? And whence comest thou? What is thy country? And of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am in Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid, and they said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. As Christians, our identity is in Christ, who is the Lord God incarnate. We worship him and we worship his name. We are moved and compelled to obey his commands, commandments by the working of his spirit in us. And we know that when we fail to do so, his hand of chastisement and correction is not far behind. As Christians, we are those who fear the Lord. The first and most important thing we must do to bring the reality of our homes and households into God's happy, blessed estate is to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, confess Him as Lord of our lives, repent of our sins, and believe the Gospel. We must be those people who fear the Lord, the blessings of God and true happiness are only found in those who fear Him. We fear Him and behold Him. And as we behold Him, we are being transformed into His likeness from one degree of glory unto another. Friends, the Gospel is not only that which saves it is not only that which transforms us spiritually. It is for all of life and related to every part of our lives and to be lived and worked out as we live in our homes, gather as a church in fellowship, and as we go out into the gates of the city and engage in commerce. As those that fear the Lord, we are no longer in bondage to our sin we have been given new liberty in Christ and are freed to follow His ways. In Christ, our fears are no longer crippling, but true and good. For the judgment that was due our sins has already been meted out upon Him on the cross at Calvary. Thanks be to God. But the blessings and happiness described in Psalm 128 are not for those who don't fear the Lord. In order to know His blessings, we must fear Him. 
Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. You all know those words. So penned John Newton in the second verse of Amazing Grace. Newton described himself as a callous sinner who had no fear of God until grace taught his heart to fear. This hard-hearted, this hard-hearted and profane sailor, a sailor of a slave trading ship, first learned the meaning of fear when he found himself in the midst of a violent storm at sea. As Newton fought the waves that threatened to shatter his ship, he was haunted by Bible verses that his Christian mother had read to him as a boy. One of them was from Proverbs 1. Let me read it to you. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh, when your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you. Then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For they that hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. The raging sea tossed Newton's fragile ship like a child's toy, ready to capsize it with the roll of the next massive wave. The wind-driven rain pelted his face with tiny bee stings as he strained to keep his footing on the slippery deck in his fight with the elements. The dark, starless sky warned of God's displeasure, and the ear-splitting claps of thunder seemed laced with bursts of heavenly laughter. I will laugh at your calamity when terror strikes you like a storm. The words from Proverbs seemed addressed directly to Newton. Suddenly, the one who hated knowledge and refused to hear the Lord found himself terrified at the prospect of death and judgment. Newton said, My whole life when awake was a course of most horrid impiety and profaneness. I know not that I have ever since met so daring a blasphemer. Not content with common oaths and imprecations, I daily invented new ones. As he reflected upon the storm, Newton knew that only one force in heaven or earth could prompt one who sinned with such impunity to tremble before God's power. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. Blessed and happy are those that fear the Lord." Know, people of God, know that the same amazing grace that saved the wretch John Newton, the wretch that he himself confessed himself to be, is an amazing grace that can work beauty and life and joy into your household. Know that the covenant-keeping God that we read about in Deuteronomy 7, who calls us to keep His commands and statutes and judgments, and in so doing, He bestows mercy and love and blessing, is also the same God who informs us to live by faith, as we read from Romans 1. 
Christ has fulfilled all the righteous requirements of the law, and we are complete in Him. We must believe this, and we must walk by faith. Which brings us to the second point. Number two, happy are those that walk in His ways. None but those who fear the Lord will ever walk in His ways. And so we come now to this second portion of verse 1. Blessed or happy is everyone that walketh in His ways. Spurgeon writes in his reflection upon that verse, if the heart is joined to God, the feet will follow after Him. The heart can be seen in the walk, and blessings will come where the heart and walk are both with God. Good words. But this is exactly where we struggle, is it not? We come to salvation in Christ and we love His Word and His ways, but most everything in the world around us is in competition with and in opposition to His ways. We have been trained and catechized in a culture of rugged individualism that denies and works against a faithful outworking of covenantal thought, words, and actions. And we are also awash in a culture of consumerism. So when our hearts are joined to God and our feet want to follow after Him, if we are not careful, our consumer impulse kicks in. We're all professional consumers, it seems. And it's almost as if we believe that blessings come not from God, but from Amazon. You've seen the meme, haven't you? The primnesia meme. You know what primnesia is, don't you? It's when that box arrives on your front porch from Amazon and you don't even remember what you ordered. What an amazing time of opulence and convenience we live in. And this opulence and convenience begins to work a most insidious thought into our minds. We have come to believe that the answer to any question, the solution to any need, or the provision of any needed item is just one click away. Most of us, I trust, are in the practice of giving thanks for meals and God's generous provision of the food we eat. Perhaps it is time we also stop and give thanks before we open the next prime delivery that arrives at our doorsteps. But humility and honesty and great care should drive us to understand that the answer to every question in life is not available through a Google search or by clicking the Buy Now button. We need the Word of God that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And the truth is, now listen, the truth is, even at our best, we don't read or live the Word of God very well in isolation. We need each other, and we need our families. We need those who know us best to love us and help us walk in His ways. Even in our redeemed state, we still have blind spots. 
Just when we think we have latched onto a truth from God's Word, we so often find that our understanding is incomplete. And so our application, our walk, is also incomplete. In order to enjoy the blessings of a happy household, whether the household of God or the household we call home, we need to continually sharpen our swords and grow in the knowledge of God's ways. We need to have our blind spots revealed and have the wisdom of God's Word brought to bear in greater fullness and in more and more areas of our lives. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So what are some of these common blind spots? One of the common blind spots we carry around with us is also one of the most destructive. When we lack understanding and wisdom, we can tend to hold tightly a nugget of truth from Scripture, but we hold it out of context. And so we end up calling something a virtue, which is actually a sin. Fathers can have a particular tendency to cherry-pick rules from Scripture and baptize them with holy language, and then apply them liberally to the outside of their wives and children, not seeing that they are first to be understood and applied to the heart. Our primary duty as fathers is to teach our families to love God's standard, not simply comply with the standard, Said the other way around, our primary duty as fathers is not to enforce compliance with God's standards, but to lead our family to love, to love the standard. We seek compliance in the heart from the heart. Please don't misunderstand me. There is a time to insist upon external compliance, but that should primarily happen when the children are little and you are simultaneously training the heart. Fathers, we all struggle to do this consistently, but it should be our objective nonetheless. Outward-only obedience is no obedience at all. Children who excel at outward-only obedience grow up to be the finest legalist you'll ever meet. Or they rebel in the most egregious ways imaginable. Mothers. Mothers may have a tendency to coddle their children and make excuses for their children, especially as they get older. Mom and dad both tend to do this when the children are small and every sin is cute. And so they, they miss the best opportunities they will ever have to train the heart in loving God's righteous standard. As the children get older and dad senses the need to lead his son with expectations of toughness and rigor, then mom comes along, whose gift of tender and caring love is good and right. But she can tend to misapply that gift and stand between father and son and so hinder a boy's growth toward manhood. Likewise, when a father sees his young daughter growing up into womanhood, he does so with the eyes of a man, and he sees things that mom simply isn't equipped to see, and so conflict arises. 
And too often, dad yields or becomes overbearing and so provokes his daughter to wrath and misses the target of the heart altogether. As parents, we can tend to place our trust in the right homeschooling method, the right church, the right circle of friends for the training up of our children in righteousness. All of these things can be good and wise and helpful, but they do not give us permission to grow slack in our God-given responsibilities to train our children. Mom and Dad, hear me now. Mom and Dad, beware of your reliance upon rules, even those that are biblically derived. Just as we read from Romans 1, 7, chapter 1, verse 17 earlier, the just shall live by faith. We walk by faith. It is all of faith and nothing that we bring to the table and certainly nothing that we apply externally. Just as Martin Luther had that tower experience and was able to see that the righteousness of God is a gift of God by which a righteous man lives, namely faith. We need to search our lives and root out anything that is not of faith. As parents, we need to understand that everything we say and everything we do speaks. And it will either speak truthfully or falsely about the gospel and about our Father in heaven. If we don't speak and model grace before our children, how are they to learn about the grace of the Father? Our children are given to us and they come into this world already equipped with some of the finest and finely tuned hypocrisy detectors you'll ever understand. Speaking the words of a gracious gospel in family worship and then living lives that scream we are justified by how well we comply with God's rules are rightly and quickly detected by our children as hypocrisy. And we should not be surprised when they grow up and depart the faith. Fathers, fathers, are you called to repent of your sins and believe the gospel? Are you? Then you need to do this quickly. And as often as you sin in front of your children, repent to and in front of your children, and so speak the truth about the gospel to your children. This is so important. Mothers, are you called to submit to your own husbands as to the Lord? Then when you do, you proclaim without words that Christ is the head of the church and the Savior of the body. Children, do you honor your father and mother even when you don't understand? especially when you don't understand? If so, then please know that there are promises from God attached to your obedience, and as you honor your mother and father, you also honor our Heavenly Father. Young men. Scripture says the glory of young men is their strength. So the question to you then is, how often... Is that strength directed in the service of the family? How often is that strength rendered in the service of a neighbor, the church, 
or exercised in spiritual disciplines. Young ladies, so often you have this amazing gift of talking and in conversation, but how often is that gift used to build up and to edify the body of Christ? Is it ever used to establish cliques or speak disparagingly or wrongly about one another? When you do so, you tear down the body of Christ. Everyone, hear the exhortations. Consider your conversations with one another, and especially in your homes. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is a f- set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But man, no man, can tame the tongue. Which means... You are going to sin with your tongue. And when you do, what is your plan? Are we to continue sinning that grace may abound? God forbid. We are to reckon ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God and Jesus Christ our Lord. Our plan must be then to repent and look unto Christ. At the root of all of our problems is spiritual neglect And we need to know that those who do not know the spiritual condition of their own souls are in no position to shepherd the souls of their families. If we are neglecting or minimizing worship, if we're minimizing time in prayer, time in and before the Word of God, then we're on a starvation diet. And there should be no surprise that there is nothing with which to feed our children and our families. If we're neglecting the ordinary means of grace, then we should not expect the grace of God's blessings that attend them. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to put off anger and wrath, malice, blasphemy and filthy communication, and lying to one another. Knowing that We have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed after the knowledge, in the knowledge after the image of Christ, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, homeschooler or classic schooler, engineer or philosopher, but Christ is all and in all. We're called to put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. And if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, Above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another 
in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. We need to study the Scriptures and see what we are called to as fathers and mothers and children, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as a covenant community, and then we are to go and do. We're no longer in bondage to sin, and we're now free to obey with our whole hearts. In Christ, we are enabled more and more to put off that old body of sin and to yield to God's perfect instruction and pattern for the happy household given to us in His Word. In short, we are to fear the Lord and walk in His ways. And so, consider what beauty there is as we attend to the whole duty of man, to fear God and to keep His commandments. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. Thy children, like olive plants, round about thy table. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. Fruitful labor. Labor that provides for our household and happiness that attends its enjoyment. Happy wives that adorn the household with her labors and bring beauty and satisfaction. Flourishing, happy children gathered round the abundant table. This is a picture of God's blessings in a happy household. But the blessings of the Lord are like the cup that overflows in the 23rd Psalm. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Yea, thy, thou, child, thou shalt see thy children's children, and peace upon Israel. The Lord's blessings flow from His heavenly dwelling place, giving us eyes to see His goodness as it works its way out through all the days of our lives. God's covenant blessings are such that they span generations. And as we witnessed Cody's baptism this morning, as he by sacrament was brought into the covenant and received the sign and seal of the covenant, we made vows to do all in our power to support him in his life in Christ. We all made that vow this morning. And so by the power of God's amazing grace and with great thanksgiving, his grandparents have indeed seen their children's children and they are blessed of the Lord. And so are we all as we walk in his ways and keep his commandments. Our merciful and glorious Father in heaven, we are ever and eternally thankful for Christ our Savior. According to your perfect and unchanging will, we ask for you to work your truth in us, and in its power displace all that is false and that which hinders our growth in Christ. We desire and pray for your blessings 
and ask that we would indeed see the good of Jerusalem, the growth and prosperity of your church and the gospel all the days of our lives. And as you see fit, give us all the blessing of seeing our children's children. We thank you that you have even shown some their children's grandchildren. Open our eyes of possibility and show us the beauty of a happy household. And lead us there in the holy fear of our God and in obedience to all that you command. Make our hearts overflow with thanksgiving, we pray. In the abundance of your goodness, for we come in the name of our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. Amen.